Part four, the title of the sermon today is Keep Up the Good Work. Keep up the good work. Hey, we've been in a 50-day fast, and I want to just say this to you. It's not just a 50-day fast. It's a 50-day journey. should be said that way because I know some of you are thinking 50 days, and some, throughout this 50 days, some things have changed. It, just this, listen, my heart for this fast or journey in the summer was just we felt like God was saying, you know, pursue me this summer. And day one of the fast, literally, is when I find out about Dion leaving. I'm like, thank you, Lord. Is this where we're headed? All right. Jesus, keep on pruning. I love it. And, um, but uh, you ever felt like you're being pruned with a chainsaw? Anyone? That's me. And uh, anyways, I'd rather have a couple of clips here and there. But, you know, oh, thank you, Lord. But um, anyways, uh, so... He just prunes because he's setting you up for something greater, by the way. If you ever go through pruning seasons, it's just because he's preparing you for greater fruit down the road. But uh, in this season, we felt like I wanted to pray and fast as a church, not for anything particularly, for, but really just to grow in your relationship with the Lord. So wherever you are in this fast as a church... Just keep going, and if you have to change it or adjust it, don't feel bad. Um, you know, has anyone broken their fast yet? Come on. Yeah, raise your hand high. Don't be ashamed. You're like, I, I had the Skittles, you know, I had the popcorn. I shouldn't have had, you know, the enchilada, but I went for the extra one. Come on, raise your hand. Supposed to eat, not supposed to eat breakfast, and you're like, gosh, I could really use a waffle right now. And then you added the extra syrup. Hey, just keep going. The easiest thing to do is just to quit and give up. Listen, fasting was not created for God. It was created for you. So just keep it going. Keep moving forward. Keep praying. Keep seeking the Lord, and he will respond to you. Amen? All right. The title of the message, Keep Up the Good Work. Say, Keep Up the Good Work. Keep up the good work. That wasn't everybody. Say, Keep Up the Good Work. Keep up. The good work. Keep up. Actually, let's do it this way. I'm going to say, Keep Up. You say the good work. Keep up. Good work. All right. Thank you. That's what we're going to meditate on today. We're walking through Nehemiah, and he's heard about how the walls in Jerusalem have come down. He's done 120 days of prayer and fasting. He gets the okay from his boss to leave his job to go and rebuild these walls in Jerusalem. And he waits a few days because he wasn't in a hurry. We talked about that last week. And he trusts God's timing. But now it's time to go public, and he decides to share what God has been birthing in his heart for 120 days. He decides to go public and share with the Israelites what God has put in his heart to do. Verse 17, we only have a few verses today. He says, then I said to them, so now me and my, if you're following in the series, this is part four, go listen to part one, two, and three if you need to catch up, and then you'll help be caught up in this. All right, so Nehemiah is now at the time I'm going to share with the Israelites what we're going to do. I've scouted the territory, and here we are. The time has arrived where he's going to share the vision with this, this body of people, what he's called to do. He says, then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. That's an important note. If you have your Bible or something or your phone or take a look, that's a, like a highlight, okay? We are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. I want you to pay special attention to, you see the trouble we are in. These people have been without the walls around their city for over 100 years now. This is a 100-year-old problem. 70 years of captivity. They tried to rebuild the, the walls. Then it didn't make it. The enemy came and stopped them. And so they've been living this way for about 100 years. So this was a problem for a long time. 
Years had gone by. They tried to rebuild the walls, but their enemies stopped them. And Nehemiah points out to me something very interesting. He points out the obvious. You see the trouble we are in. I believe Nehemiah had to remind them of the obvious. Sometimes you have to be, and we have to be, reminded of what's obvious. What's obvious is sometimes is what often is also forgotten. It's obvious, but it's forgotten. Sometimes the hardest thing to see are the things that are most obvious. What I mean by that is sometimes it's easy to, to live in a world where things become uh, so, so used to it. We had this saying for years in our previous church staff about uh, it becomes like furniture, you know, you, you don't see it as much. You navigate through your house because you're in a house and you could go through it in the dark and you wouldn't hit anything because you kind of know where things are and it becomes like, like furniture to you. It kind of becomes part of the norm. And so it, it doesn't become easy to see. So Nehemiah has to point out to them something that is obvious or should have been obvious. You see the trouble we are in. Let me bring fresh perspective on this for you and what I felt like God was speaking into me for us today as a church. Sometimes it takes fresh eyes to see the problem. So can I remind you of the trouble we are in today? Let me just remind you. Let me just kind of set you down here for just a minute, and I want you to say, you see the trouble. So let me just, let me say this to you as if Nehemiah is speaking this to you today, all right? You see the trouble we're in, don't you? You see it, right? This would be like Nehemiah coming and saying, you see it. You see that we send our children to education systems that God has never mentioned, right? Do you see that? <clears throat> you see how God has been taken away from the education of our children, right? You see that. You see that 40 hours a week, God's not mentioned in their life, right? You see, when you get married, it's a 50-50 chance for your children. It's a 50% divorce rate. So when you send your children off down the aisle, 50-50. You know that, right? You see the trouble we're in. Don't you? Many Christians say, I can't wait for Jesus to return. I wish he would come back today. I'm ready for Jesus to return today. So are you ready for millions of people to go to hell? You see the trouble we're in. Chances are, every one of you knows someone who does not really know the real Jesus. You see the trouble we're in, right? This is what Nehemiah is saying to them. Now you feel it with them. You see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem is in ruins. God's people are in ruin and they're still in captivity. There are millions of people in slavery to sin. There are, you see people literally controlled by their envy, don't you? Do you see anyone controlled by envy? You see people who are so jealous that it turns to evil. Don't you see, don't you see her walk away from her husband? 
Pursuing the grass is greener. You see it, right? You see people still in their 40s searching for affirmation to fill a void in their heart about something that was done to them as a young child. You still see people living in unforgiveness, don't you? You still see people living in unforgiveness? Your own brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, cousins, still living in unforgiveness about something that happened 30 years ago. You see it, don't you? Don't you see the trouble we're in? That's what Nehemiah said to the Israelites. You see the trouble we're in. It should have been obvious, but because it became so routine, it was like forgotten. So I've got to remind you of the obvious before I cast this vision about what God has called us to do. Now that I have your attention, Nehemiah says, come. Come. He gives the invitation. So come. Come be a part of the solution. Come. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so we will no longer be in disgrace. It's interesting that the word we is in there because Nehemiah was living in a palace. Nehemiah, remember, had it made. He had a job. He was good. He was set. And yet his heart was for the broken. And it uses the word we. What do you mean we? Nehemiah was good. But he attaches himself because he understands I'm a part of this as well. When you weep, I weep with you. When God's children are hurting, it hurts me. We're in this thing together. So we will no longer be in disgrace. Disgrace can be interpreted as shame. I think the best word might be living in constant captivity or slavery. Constant guilt stricken over their lives. In simple vernacular, you'd say not living the life that God intended for them. They were not living the life that God intended for them. Jeremiah the prophet was sent to warn Israel about all this, about the 70 years of captivity. Jeremiah 33. In Jeremiah 25, before we read 33, he is told, if you don't turn to God, he's going to send you to captivity. Not because of what he wants to do, but that's where you're, you're headed. Then in Jeremiah 33, he makes a promise. He says, if you return back, here's what he says. If you return back, you stop worshiping false idols, I'll heal you. Verse 6, it says, nevertheless, I will bring health and healing to it, the land. I will heal my people and will let them enjoy their abundant peace and security. I will, so it was always about peace and security, by the way. It wasn't about just land. Peace and security in their hearts. I will bring Judah and Israel back from captivity and will rebuild them. Remember, the it wasn't about rebuilding a wall. It was about rebuilding the lives of people. The people are lost and broken. The people are searching for things that will not fill their hearts. They are worshiping false idols. They worship an idol of success. Everything is about success. Everything is about achievement. Everything is about how big my house can be or how much money I can have in the bank. Whatever the case is, they're headed in the wrong direction. But if they turn to me, I will restore them again. He says, I will cleanse, in verse 8, them from all sin. I will set them free from jealousy. 
Real freedom is when you can walk around this world today and never be jealous. Try it out. Tell me how you do. Never be envious. Never seeking man's approval. You want real freedom? Don't seek another person's approval. Seek only God's. That's freedom. Real freedom is the drug does not have control over me. Some Christians can't even, coffee controls us. It's Christian cocaine is all it is. Come on. You can't even go, coffee. Try going out coffee and you go through withdrawals. Try set down sugar. Oh, Jesus. Oh, oh. Amen? So you could take this however you want to take it. I just want you to understand what Jesus was after. He was after a freedom from a slavery to sin. We hear the word slave and we think about slave. People treated, mistreated by other people, and you know, having to work, land, and things like that. When Jesus refers to slavery, it's not just that. It's that encompassing sin. It's a slavery to sin. What is sin? Pride. You want freedom? Don't be prideful. Don't give in to prideful situations. You want freedom? Here's a freedom. Here's a challenge. Here's freedom. Don't lie. Real freedom is suppressing the lie and telling the truth when you're tempted to lie. That's freedom. If not, the sin has got the best of you in that moment, and the sin of lying has got control over you. How about greed? You want real freedom? Whenever you're tempted to be greedy, suppress the greed and be generous. That's freedom. If not, then greed has a hold on you. Greed is your master. Pride becomes a master. Lying becomes a master. Worry becomes a master. Think about it. Anxiety can become a master. Anxiety dictates decisions. You make decisions out of anxious thoughts. Jesus wants freedom for his people not to have to live that way. That your security would be in him and nothing else. That's why the walls are to be built. It's for the people. Verse 9 says in Jeremiah 33, Then the city will be bring me renowned joy, praise, and honor before all nations on earth, and all here is the good things that I do for it. And they will be in awe and will tremble at the abundant prosperity and peace I provide for it. So the project was a wall, but the reason for the project was a freedom for people. God did not want them to live in shame. He wanted his children to live in freedom from sin. Sin brings death. Not just eternal death. I'm not even talking about just hell. I'm talking about death on earth. You could be living on earth, but be living in death at the same time. Darkness, depression, bitterness, rage, lack of self-control, no peace, no hope. You ever met somebody who's breathing air, but they're really not living the life that God has for them? They're just existing. They're not living the life abundantly that Jesus wants for his people. This is what he's after. Then to help remind them about who God is in verse 18, he says, I told them, 
about how the gracious hand of my God was on me and what the king had said to me. I think this is interesting in the context. He's trying to get the people to rebuild the walls in order for that people would be rebuilt. So the purpose behind it was people, not just walls. It was to rebuild the people to set them free from sin. And then he says, now that I'm reminding you of the obvious situation what people are drowning in, that there's depressed people, hurting people, anxious people, people that are addicted to things and drugs and alcohol and all kinds of things. And man, uh, adultery is happening and all these things are happening. You see the problem. You see the issue, right? So come, be a part of the solution. And let me tell you my testimony before we get started. Why does Nehemiah tell the testimony? Because don't forget, the people who are going to be doing the labor were the very people who've been living in disgrace. They were the very people who have forgotten about the promises of God. God had promised the prophet Jeremiah, I will rebuild the city again. If my people would just return to me. Now you've returned, but you've forgotten the promise. So let me tell you my testimony about how God has been upon my life. And when he tells them the testimony... When he tells them his testimony, it's amazing what would happen next. But before I share that with you, I have a question for anyone in the room today. Do you understand how powerful your testimony is? Your testimony has the power to bring the people that were dead back to life again. Nehemiah is sharing his testimony about how the gracious hand of God had been upon his life. People who had been living in insecurity and fear. If you want to help someone around you going through a divorce, going through a tough situation, somebody's addicted to a drug, someone who's living in pain, someone who has insecurity, you know the best thing you could do for them? Tell them your testimony. Tell them about what God did for you. If you want to help that man in his house, your neighbor who's trying to, you know, get it all figured out, tell him your story about Jesus and what Jesus has done in you. It will instill hope. And the Holy Spirit comes, uses your testimony to speak life into that person and do the thing you can't do. That's why the Holy Spirit's called the helper. You know what we often resort to when somebody comes to us in need? Come and see. The people are messed up. You know what our first resort is? Have you read this book on da-da-da-da-da? Uh, have you seen this? Or We try to offer our own counsel. It's okay to give counsel. But make sure you do this first. Share your testimony with them about how God got you through that situation, how God kept you from that situation, what God has done in your life. And when you begin to speak what God has done in your life, hope will be restored in their spirit. The power of your testimony. We've been in a 21-day fast, and I was just curious if we have anyone in here that God has done something wonderful or great or something God's doing in you that you would just love to share right now. I was so terrified that no one would have a testimony. And I thought, 21 days of prayer and fasting, and I got nothing. Anybody? Seriously, this is a real question. This is not rhetorical. Oh, Jesus. Are you raising your hand? Okay, come here. We got one. I mean, you know, a whole church praying and fasting for 21 days. My thought was, people are going to have some stories to share. And I thought, we should just give them an opportunity. I have no idea what you're going to share, but just share whatever story God's doing the risk you're taking. Um, I'm Carolina, by the way. So um, 
I'm going to give a little family background because it plays into the testimony part. Um, over the last eight years, um, my family has struggled with um, a family member who has had um, struggles with addiction, right? Addiction to drugs. And I remember growing up, I was always the kid that got the good grades. And I, you know, I always worked really hard in school and I always went to church. And like, I felt like I had to do that um, in a sense to like make up for the family member that was, was not like holding up his end of the bargain, right? I was like that kid that took it upon themselves, like, I'm gonna have my parents be proud of me. And I was always so like proud of myself that I wasn't addicted to anything. I was like, you know, I'm not addicted to anything in life. Anything I try, I can just throw it away. I can just throw it down. I have no issues with addiction, you know, praise God. And then I tried cutting sugar out of my diet. I was addicted to sugar. When my fiance would tell me, hey, babe, you shouldn't eat that, I would yell at him. Not yell at him, but I would get angry with him. And I'd be like, what are you talking about? I can't have that. You know, like, I, I, and it would actually infuriate me. And we don't realize the underlying things that are going on. You know, we, we get in, it's, it's like, it's pride. You know, I had pride about, oh, I, you know, I don't struggle with these things. It's sneaky, and sugar can kill me just as easily as cocaine can. It's a slow death, you know? It's, it's, it's what they talk about, yeah, like diabetes and all that. So, like, anyway, so that was my testimony. I did find out that I do have an addiction, and I'm fighting with it. Um, but I have God on my side, and I was able to do that in the fast. So thank you for that. Um, and anyone struggling with sugar addiction, please talk to me about it. I'm Carolina, and I'm addicted to sugar. Fantastic. Man, I, and, and I just talked about how sugar, you know, can heal. All right, so anybody else have any testimony God's doing in your life now that it's like, okay, the first person went. Anybody else have anything God is doing? Yeah, come here. Come here. This is Carol, and so good. It's in my notes just to give people an opportunity to share their testimony. All right, go ahead. So I'm, I'm with her 100% on that, but I learned a lot of different things about food in my life, right? I'm an empty nester. I'm newer to Florida. Uh, been coming here since, I don't know, last October and just, just in love with the Lord. But the Lord is showing me something different with this fasting, um, showing me more. So I, I'm my background, a little bit about my background, my family's Jewish, and so I grew up in that kind of culture, and I knew, I knew Jesus was Messiah since I was a little girl. That's a whole nother testimony to tell, but um, I didn't grow up in the habit of praying before eating, so it's something that I just eat, and I don't even think about doing, so this particular fast has turned me around in just a different way about food. Um, it's taught me being an empty nester how much not only am I trying to be grateful for like the specific food that God has provided for me and trying to have that when I do eat because I'm eating uh, when I do eat I'm trying to more like be grateful I'm never 
I'm praying about everything else and I'm never praying for food. I've prayed for breath in my lungs, but not for food. And so I'm starting to open my eyes like on what, not only does food nourish my body, but to me, food is showing love to my family when I make it, when I make it for my coworkers on a birthday. It's like I've discovered ways that I enjoy when I'm in my head, that anxiety, um, food, cooking, like calms me down. And so I'm starting to see food, at, if this makes any sense, like I'm starting to see God in the food. So instead of like God in pla- uh, food in place of God, I'm starting to see God in the food. When I eat, when I shop, when I cook, and all the things that food does in my life and how it shows Jesus when we cook it, make it, feed other people, blah, 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 etc. So I just kind of saw it a little bit differently, and I'm just grateful for it. So, You know... <clears throat> Thanks, Carol. One, one of the things I was like, you know, I just love the two testimonies, Kim, because they're just so practical. You know, it's like, you know, man, this is just normal people, just, you know, and, and it, we could probably go on. And uh, But the point is, like, sometimes it's just a practical thing. And then also sometimes when you have a, a testimony, sometimes it only really makes sense to you, and you know that God's still doing some things in you. And so I just wanted you to hear, and I hope and I pray that throughout the next 20 plus days, we've been 21 days in it, so we have, what, 21, 30, what is it, 20, yeah, 29 days left? And uh, so uh, anyways, just encourage you to join in the fast and hear the testimony. So right, we're going to wrap this up. Ben, would you come up? Here's where we are. The verse 18. Here's how they respond to Nehemiah's invitation. Nehemiah shares a testimony. And upon hearing the testimony, here's how they start. Here's how they reply. It says, they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began the good work. Keep up. How easily we forget. Keep up. So they began this good work. This is where we're landing. You have people who have been broken. Now just think about this. Broken people, their grandparents were in captivity because this is 70 years of captivity and others say 30 years or so. So about 100 years. These people had grown up in a place of life that God was irrelevant. Maybe God was irrelevant. They weren't living the life God called them. Paganism all around. Living in slavery. Living in fear. Living with addiction. Living with the need of affirmation and not getting affirmation. I mean, all kinds of hurt going around the city. And Nehemiah is going to use these same people in order to rebuild other people. Did you know God uses broken people to rebuild people who are broken? I'll say it again. God uses broken people to rebuild broken people. In other words, he repairs you only so that you would go and help repair someone else. And they say yes to it. It would have been so easy for these people to say, we've already tried. It doesn't work. I think there's an infection in us that I want us to rid out today, and that is, I want you to stop saying that's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. Okay. Some of you knew what I was talking about. Some of you are completely lost. <laughs> Look, just keep on singing. Stop saying that's just the way it is. Like, think about our children, the way they're growing up today. Oh, they look at our children today. That's just the way it is. Pick up a brick and start laying it again. Tell them about Jesus. 
tell your children about Jesus. Tell your neighbor's friends about Jesus. But then I might offend somebody. That's just the way it is, you know. I, mean, I can't say anything. I have to keep my mouth shut. No, you don't. You will answer to one king one day, only one. There will only one that you will answer to. There's only one king that you will answer to. You believe that? Then live like it. One king. We serve one God. There's only one. His name is Jesus. So they began the good work. I wrote this down. There is work for pay. And there is a need to work for pay. You work for pay, work for pay, work for pay. I get it. Genesis chapter 3, sent into the world, you're going to start working for pay. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Eve. We'll talk to you when we get to heaven. But we would have done the same thing. Amen? Yes, we would have. Oh, that fruit looks good. Sugar. It may have been candy on the tree. Like just some fruit roll-ups or something. Like some Kit Kats, Reese's Pieces. Like the little ones. You know, the, the little ones. You know what I'm talking about? The E.T. ones? Those Reese's Pieces? If that was on a tree, I may have ate too. They replied, let us start rebuilding so they begin the good work. Here's what I wanted you to know today. There is work for pay, and then there is good work. What separates work from good work? That's what I had down in my notes. Why good work? And it hit me. What separates work from good work is good news. There is news, and then there is good news. And I just want you to know today, there's only one good news. It's that Jesus Christ came to die for the sins of humanity so they could be freed from sin, no longer controlled by their flesh, no longer controlled by the sins of this world that entangles us but he came so you could be set free and he put all of your sins on a cross and he nailed them there and he left them there and he overcame death so that you could have eternal life in Christ to live with his father in heaven in perfect unity with him and with one another it's the best news in the world it's good news. There's no other news like it. Even good news tomorrow isn't that good of news when you compare it to the cross of Christ. It's good news. And what Nehemiah was going to do for the Lord was to bring them the good news that God was restoring them back into their original design, that God was going to rebirth their nation again, that God was going to set them free from captivity. And God was going to restore security in their hearts. That God was going to restore the identity that they had lost in him. It was good news. The best work you will ever do is sharing the good news. My encouragement to you today is keep up the good work. Would you keep up the good work? I've come to remind you today to keep up the good work and sharing the good news. Rick. Set up team, Phil, some of the men and women who set up the church, keep up the good work. Our children's workers, keep up the good work. Our production team in the back, keep up the good work. Can we keep up the good work? Our hospitality team, our parking lot, keep up the good work. 
God will finish what he starts. Keep up the good work. Parents, keep up the good work in leading your people and your kids to Jesus. Keep up the good work. If you're telling your neighbors about Jesus, keep up the good work. Don't come off your wall. Keep up the good work. If you're telling your family members about Jesus, keep up the good work. If you're praying for your loved ones that they would come to find Christ, I'm come to tell you today, you came to sit here and you've waited an hour and 40 minutes to hear this. Keep up the good work. God wants you to know today, keep up the good work. Keep up the good work in telling the good news of Jesus. It's so easy to give up the good work when we lose sight of the obvious. Don't lose sight of the obvious. People are broken and hurting all around you. You know them and you may be one of them. I'm here to tell you today, keep up the good work. Would you keep up the good work, church, today? Keep stacking the bricks. Keep up the good work. Keep loving people. Keep sharing your testimony with your friends and family. Keep up the good work. Let's pray. Jesus, altar team, would you come down front? Jesus, we love you. Lord, we've come to worship you today. Thank you for today. As the two people down here, Phil and Carol, if you need prayer today, would you just come here? You need prayer. You heard something today and you're like, God spoke that to my heart. Would you just come up here and get prayer? Just get prayed for it. Just tell them we're here to pray with you. I know it takes courage to have to stand up in front of people and come pray, but if you can't stand up in front of a whole bunch of people in a church, how can you stand when you're in the world? If you need prayer today, we want to be here for you. If you want to accept Jesus into your life, we want to be here for you today. If you need a breakthrough from an addiction, we want to be for here today. We'll be down front. We would love to pray with you. It's that simple. We're here for you. We are here for you. So you can come and get prayed for and prayed with. Would you just close your eyes right where you are? Just say, Jesus, I'll keep up the good work. Father, thank you for today. Lord, we give you this day today. And for those who need you, Jesus, I pray that they would find you. Lord, that your will would be done in their life. If you need prayer at any point when we're dismissed, you can come up here now. You can come here after service. We'll be here for a few minutes. We would love to pray with you about anything you need. If you're watching online, you can let us know. Send us an email. Tell the chat room. Let us know. We'd love to pray with you. Father, we love you. We thank you. Lord, we give our life to you today. If you want to give your life to Jesus, let us know. We want to walk through that journey with you. Just come down front. We'll we'll help you take your first step. Father, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.